Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I am really thrilled to bring you today's episode because I sense that I have many, many people listening right now who fit into the category of a highly sensitive person. And you probably have been told once or twice or many times in your life that you're just too sensitive. Well, I'm here to tell you that your sensitivity is a gift and being an HSP or a big empath is not something that you develop. It's actually a trait that you are born with. And my lovely guest today, Julie Bieland, will enlighten you as to all the gifts of a highly sensitive person, HSP, how important it is for our self-care, ways you can communicate your needs to your loved ones and even practitioners, and so much more. Let me tell you a little bit more about Julie. She is a psychotherapist specializing in high sensitivity, host of the HSP podcast, and founder of the Sensitive Empowerment Community, whose mission is to create a paradigm shift where sensitivity is embraced, valued, and honored. Julie offers essential resources for educating, inspiring, and empowering HSPs. You can register for her free masterclasses, take the sensitivity quiz, and profoundly transform your life in her courses and community. Her HSPs and business group is designed to support and empower sensitive people to grow heart-centered business, share their voices, and be part of the change the world needs. You can learn more at juliebiellen.com. Her last name is B-J-E-L-L-A-N-D.com, and that link will be in the show notes as well. Before we dive into my discussion with Julie, a big, big part of self-care is what you put in your body, what you eat. And some of my favorite things to put in my body in terms of nutrition is Organifi products. I love their green juice. I love their red juice. I really love their gold drink, which is a turmeric drink that you can put with coconut milk or almond milk, serve it hot, mix it up. It's like this delicious turmeric latte. When I'm traveling, I always have the green drink packages with me because they have things like spirulina and chlorella, which are such good detoxifiers. And sometimes when you're traveling, it's hard to get all the nutrients in that you're used to if you eat well at home. You can get all Organifi products for 20% off when you go to Organifi.com slash over it. Again, that's Organifi.com slash over it. Get all the products you want for 20% off. And now on to my conversation with Julie. Enjoy. Julie, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Very excited to be here, Christine. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to have you on the show because one of my listeners actually, and also a woman who's come to one of my retreats, sent me a message on Instagram and said, I really think you'll enjoy this podcast with this expert on highly sensitive people. And I listened to it and I loved what you had to say and it resonated so much with me and I know so many of my listeners. So we reached out and here you are. And I love that. And I have a lot of questions for you today, but I want to start with the most basic one, which is what is an HSP and how is it different from being an empath? Okay, great questions. So the actual scientific name of this trait, it's not a disorder, it's a trait, an innate trait that you're born with. And it is called sensory processing sensitivity, but we often call it the highly sensitive person, or you'll hear me say HSP for short. And I found through my research over the years of working with HSPs all over the world for quite a few years is that there's a scale of sensitivity. And those that score highest on my sensitivity scale, for example, tend to be what we call HSP empaths. So the higher you score, the higher your sensitivity, which means usually the higher your challenges, but also the higher your gifts. So if you can learn how to manage that sensitive part of you and, and really balance the sensitive nervous system, you can really thrive. And it's really a fascinating trait to learn about. It is so life-changing to learn about. We found it in about 20% of the population. And it is about 70% are introverts and about 30% are extroverts. And it is equal in gender. And we found it in over 100 species already and counting. So there's actually a lot of research about this trait, which is really exciting. 
Wow. Wow. So not just in humans. That's, I can think of a couple of dogs I know who are definitely <laughs> yeah, HSV. <laughs> well, let's go. People can go to your website and take the quiz and we'll link all that up in the show notes. But could you go over some of the characteristics of an HSP? So someone listening may not think that they are like, for example, I, since I have a very strong mind, which I think has been a coping strategy in a lot of ways, didn't really realize I had this trait until I, until I learned about it. And then so much about my life, including going on antidepressants at a young age, made perfect sense. So can we go through some of the characteristics so people may be able to start to self-identify? Yes, sure. And I want to say something about that, about depression. We actually see a lot of anxiety and depression in this population. But one of the things that's really exciting about it is that we know this actually based on research, and I've seen this a lot in, uh, the, in this population, is that a lot depends on your childhood. If you felt supported in your sensitivity as a child, you're actually more likely to thrive even higher than those without the trait and actually less likely to have anxiety and depression, even, even less so than those without the trait. But mm. many of us did not get the support we needed. Our parents didn't know about this trait. And if we received messages, like a lot of us did, you know, why are you so sensitive? What's wrong with you? Then we're carrying around messages that something is wrong with us. Plus, society doesn't, you know, it isn't set up for the highly sensitive ner nervous system. And so without the right types of support, and if you didn't learn tools to support your nervous system, then you may be more likely to have anxiety and depression. But the exciting thing about it is that HSPs tend to thrive and excel even, even more than those without the trait in self-help situations and also in therapy. So I just wanted to throw that out there too. Mm, mm, I love that. I'm going to circle back to that after you go through some of the characteristics. Yes. So some of the characteristics are, you know, HSPs tend to be incredibly kind, caring, compassionate people. They're the first people to jump up and help people. And they're also... Uh, we tend to be perfectionists. We want to get things done right the first time. And that's actually part of the trait and part of, you know, this trait actually evolved as a survival strategy of the population and that these gifts that come with the trait are needed. And you might notice, so since it's a sensory sensitivity, uh, many of us have sensory triggers or sensory sensitivities. So maybe we have an issue with bright lights or loud sounds or being in crowds, especially if you're an HSP empath and you're picking up on everybody else's energy around you. Yep. Um, that's you know, me. That's a, uh, <laughs> yes. So it can be really difficult. I know I used to struggle a lot. Uh, I had anxiety and depression and pretty severely on both ends until I learned about this trait. And then my life completely transformed. And that's why I'm so passionate about it and helping adults and parents of highly sensitive children to really understand the trait. Um, we tend to be over givers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we just want to help everybody. So we, we have a hard time setting boundaries. Uh, we have a hard time saying no, you know, and some of these things can be challenging and things that we actually have to learn. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed too, is that something that could be totally fine for someone else, a situation that other people don't get stimulated by or don't get anxious about HSPs could, and then you feel bad about yourself because you think something's wrong with you. And what yeah. you don't realize is that you're just, your, your nervous system is processing it in a different way. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. When you say a sensitive nervous system, what exactly does that mean? And you say it's something we're born with. It doesn't necessarily come from trauma or something that happened to us in our life. It's this innate trait. Yes, it's an innate, innate trait, and we even have brain differences. So we have more activation in the amygdala, which is responsible for that fight-flight response. And for a lot of HSPs, including myself, that used to be activated on a daily basis. And we have more activation in our insula part of our brain, which really is like the seat of awareness and consciousness. And that is why, I mean, HSPs are so incredibly in tune with those around them and themselves, they can know, like they can pick up on symptoms before doctors can find them. You know, they're, we're very aware, but it's a good thing because we can actually read micro expressions and body language that the majority of the population miss. And that is an incredibly amazing skill to have. We also have more activation in our brain mirror neuron system, 
which means we're really firing some of the same neurons as somebody we're observing, which is why we really get those experiences that we're feeling what somebody else is feeling. Mm -hmm. Which can be overwhelming if we don't know how to deal with it and process it. And we'll, we'll definitely get to how HSPs can make this a big thing for me is learning how to make my sensitivity, not a liability, but really an asset. Yes. And that's taken, that's taken many, many years to really learn. Um, but going back to anxiety and depression for a moment, would you, have you seen in your work that so many people that are struggling with anxiety and depression are trying to figure out why, 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 why a big missing part is because they don't know that they're wired this way. They don't know that they have the sensitive nervous system. 100%. Absolutely. You know, I can think of an example of like, I remember going out before I even knew about this trait, going out to a restaurant that was really busy and I'm sitting in the middle of the restaurant. And so there's this, this, you know, the entire, all the way around me is sensory stimulation with mm-hmm. the loud, you know, the, the noise, the everything that's going on. And I wouldn't understand that I was having a sensory overload. Uh, and I would get home and I'd feel so irritable and I didn't understand why. And you know, it just fills in the blanks of so many things about having a sensitive nervous system. And part of supporting people with believing that they have a sensitive nervous system, I mean, this, it can show up on lots of different things. But the really interesting thing is the more you're living in balance, that your sensitivity triggers actually get reduced. So for example, if I am not balanced, Um, I can feel like fabrics on my skin can almost hurt, Mm -hmm. but if I am balanced, I don't feel that same experience. So Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating. And that shows up even with, you know, I can, I can experience bright lights and loud sounds to be more of a problem if I'm not balancing my sensitive nervous system. So I really like to give people information that you can actually create a lot of tools to support a sensitive nervous system. And that is just life-changing. Mm. So let, can we talk about some of those tools? Yes. So some of my favorite ones are uh, because we activate that fight-flight response a lot, which means that our body's releasing adrenaline. That's when you're going to start feeling your heart rate go up. You know, we even shift how we use oxygen. I mean, it's really fascinating. Even when we're activated in the nervous system, like I want, I want to give an example of like, if you imagine that there's two parts of the brain and you call it the emotional brain and the cognitive brain for HSPs, the emotional brain is often overactivated and then the cognitive brain goes to sleep. And when the cognitive brain is asleep, that's where facts are. That's where rational thought are. That's where memory is created. And if that's asleep, we're in, (laughs) we're having a problem, which is why, you know, we can get involved in situations where we feel like we've just lost what we wanted to say. We, we can't remember what somebody is saying. We can't take in new information. We might feel really reactionary. Uh, So part of what I love, I'm really into brain training, which is you, you can activate your cognitive center of your brain intentionally so that it sort of wakes up to support your emotional brain. And that's really life-changing. One of the things that you can do is a breath technique that's really easy. You can teach it to kids even, and it is a four to seven breath technique. So you're breathing in for the count of four, you're holding it for two, and you're exhaling for seven. So the really, and you could do that about five to seven breath cycles, the, and your heart rate is going to go down right away. Your cognitive brain is going to wake back up to support your emotional brain. And what's really fascinating about that is that you can do it in any situation. You can actually get so good at doing it that you can prevent adrenaline from being released in the first place. And it is the, the long exhale sends a message to your brain because there's actually sensors in your lungs. So when you're, because when you're scared or nervous or inactivating that fight flight, your brain is interpreting the fact, thinking that you're in danger. So mm-hmm. it's, it's setting your entire system up. Even your, the muscles in your ears change, the muscles in your eyes change. So what you see and what you hear changes. Uh, It's fascinating. So by doing that long, slow exhale, you're telling your brain, I'm not in danger. Don't send out those alarm bells. And it totally switches everything back to where it's supposed to be. So it's really fascinating. And simple. 
and free. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I love HSPs telling me it's like, oh, you know, I had to go to the dentist or I was really nervous about a job interview or I had to see, you know, family that I was stressed about. And they, they did these breath exercises and it was like, magic in the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's really incredible mm-hmm. how that works. I have, I'm sure you have more. I have a specific yes. example from my own life. I'd love to give you and see what tools you think would be helpful because I did do some breath. And, um, so one thing that's, that as an HSP is really difficult for me is going from a place where I feel really safe and low nervous system stimulation to boom back in high nervous system stimulation. So we were in Mexico last week in this beautiful rainforest. No, there were no cars. Like it was amazing. And there was very little stimulation except for the ocean and the breeze and the yummy food. And it was, it was magical. And as soon as we landed back into Dallas and I got off the plane and we were going through customs and you know, everybody, there was hazmat suits and guns and people yelling to stay in line. And, and it was like a lot, you know, <laughs> that was a big transition. And I was standing in baggage claim and I got the most awful third eye headache and third eye headaches are a big thing for me. I've had them since I was a little kid and I could just feel the shift. Like I could feel the the picking up of energy and everything that was happening. And luckily I kind of knew what was going on and have some techniques to work through it. But I'm curious, like what could I have done differently? How could I have protected my energy in that situation? Like what was going on with my nervous system in that transition? Yeah, what a great example. That happened to me before at an airport too. I mean, it can mm. be very stressful with the way that they're set up and they're kind of yelling at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's like cattle calling into yes. spots. But um, some of the techniques that work really well, I like that you mentioned energy. I want to come back to that also. But there's a self-compassion technique that I have found incredibly life-changing. And it actually activates calming centers. And one of the really fascinating things is that when you're activating a calming center in the brain, you're instantly deactivating the stress centers because they cannot be activated at the same time. Mm. And that was life-changing for me to know that I had some sort of control over that and I could intentionally activate calming centers. So would you like me to go through that technique a little bit? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So, and maybe you can even do it, like imagining you're in that moment. So I love to have us put our hand, we can either do put our hand on our chest, which is something that I like to do. It activates um, proprioceptors that are also calming, similar to like what a weighted blanket does uh, or or swaddling a baby. Um, Or you can give yourself like a hug, but the, so put your hand on your chest and then there's three steps. The first step is that you want to acknowledge what you're feeling because just the acknowledgement of it makes you find a word to to name what you're feeling. And that comes from the cognitive brain. So you're already about 50% activating cognitive brain just by doing that. So like if you imagine yourself in that situation, what would you have said? I'm feeling overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. There you go. So then the second step is normalizing and validating. This is a really powerful for HSPs because most of us have spent a lifetime feeling invalidated for what we experience. Mm-hmm. So the I love the validation piece, piece, which is like, okay, you know, it makes sense that I feel overwhelmed. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm normalizing this as I'm a sensitive person. There's a lot going on. My body's starting to feel this stimulation, right? Yep. So you're saying that to yourself. I mean, you can also you can do it out loud or quietly uh, inside. Um, and then the third step is you ask yourself what you need in that moment. In that moment, what would you need? So it's almost like you're checking in with your inner child at the same time. Uh, just like a child would feel comforted by, you know, maybe they need a hug. Or maybe you need to step outside for a moment, or maybe you just need to do your breath technique. So you're giving yourself a moment to check in. What can I do right now in this moment? And this is a this is all going to activate calming centers. And whatever we activate grows in the brain. So if we're only activating stress centers over and over again, that part's going to be really easy. It's like a slippery slope to get there in the brain. Mm. But if you keep doing this, and I'm talking about on a daily basis, Like I had no self-compassion when I first started 
learning about all this stuff. And a lot of HSPs have so much compassion for others and less so for themselves. So true. Right? Oh, let's and- just, let's just let that land for a moment. Cause I've said this many <laughs> times on the podcast when I'm coaching people is you're so good at giving compassion and empathy and understanding and acceptance and patience to others. But that perfectionist tendency, uh, we can be really hard on ourselves. Yeah. yeah. It, and it changes everything because if I'm in that moment in the airport and I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I can't believe I'm having a meltdown again. There's something seriously wrong with me, right? If I'm talking like that to myself, mm-hmm. I've just added a thousand pounds to my problem. Yeah. But if I'm like going through that self-compassion technique and I'm like, you know what? Okay, I can get through this. It's going to be okay. I'm talking loving to myself. I'm checking in. I'm naming what I'm feeling. I'm normalizing and validating what I'm feeling. You're going to start to feel better in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I mean, what I had to do, I mean, what I really wanted was go to go back to Mexico, but that wasn't <laughs> an option. So I, I went to the bathroom. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in bathroom stalls <laughs> in crowded places <laughs> where I can just breathe and ground and, and center myself. And I think what you said is key, that self-compassion is key because it also sounds like we're interrupting a pattern, right? Where, yeah. where the nervous system could go into an anxiety attack or a panic attack or there's yeah. more stress where we're interrupting a pattern with that self-compassion. Absolutely. And it can be great for, for HSPs to have like, um, say they have a meditation, like a calming meditation in their phone. So like when you go into the bathroom stall, you've got it in your head. I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to listen to this meditation. I'm going to do my breath technique and my self-compassion technique. And I'm going to calm down and get recentered. And I'm not going to judge myself through any of this. I'm going to be compassionate with myself. You're going to find that even if your body has already released the adrenaline, it only takes about 30 minutes for it to get reabsorbed and for you to get back on track once you've once you've uh, released it, if you are doing some of these techniques. So you can actually pass through the intensity of an emotion in less than 30 minutes if you're doing these practices, which is a big thing where, you know, sometimes we've been impacted by these powerful experiences for weeks even. Um, So, and the more you practice it, the faster you are. And like I was saying, you get so good at it that you even catch it before the release of adrenaline so that you're recovering within you know, minutes or seconds. Yeah. Julie, you talk a lot about in your podcasts and on your site about brain training. Is this what we're talking about right now, brain training, or do you have separate techniques for training our brain? These are some of them. Yes. There's a, I have a whole brain training program and it is set up in a way that teaches us how to like, for example, if we're talking about the the limbic system being Mm -hmm. activated, where that fight flight gets activated and you get out of control, If you're walking around at a, like when most people, when I ask most people, what is the stress number you're walking around with on a, on a scale of one to 10, a lot of HSPs tell me seven or eight or higher and Mm. the limbic system gets activated at a seven or eight or higher. So what we need to do is on a, we need to shift our lifestyles. We need to shift things in our life so that we're actually getting down to a stress number of not more than a two. And I know a lot of HSPs say, oh, that's impossible. But I've been through this with thousands of HSPs, so I can say it's not impossible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if we're walking around at a two, like say you had entered the you know, you, you, the situation at a two, um, you might jump up to a five of stress level if something stress lands in your lap, but you have an activated limbic system at a five. You, but if you're walking around at a seven or eight, you're absolutely going to fall off that cliff. Right. 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 It's like if your immune system is weak, you're way more likely to get sick than if your immune system is strong. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's one thing that I have had to just accept about myself is that I do require a different level of self-care. I do. I have to say no to scary movies, thrillers, (laughs) thrillers, yeah. <laughs> loud sounds, sitting next to a speaker at a restaurant. And I've gotten a lot of eye rolls for it in my lifetime. And I think it's so important for, for HSPs to really see the value we contribute. And, and let's talk about, because I think, at least for me, until I really understood this, I saw myself as bubble girl. I saw myself as like this delicate 
flower. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be bubble girl because I also have this really strong, resilient part of me. And so could we talk about the strengths of HSPs? And, And really, like, even though we may have a sensitive nervous system, that doesn't mean we're weak. That doesn't mean we're delicate. That doesn't mean we need to live in a bubble. 100%. I really resonate with what you're saying because I had the same experience. I used to think like, oh, I'm not going to be able to accomplish anything because I'm so sensitive and so fragile and I get sick all the time and I didn't know how to take care of myself. And I want to make a comment about the self-care that you mentioned and say with clarity that absolutely as highly sensitive people, and in fact, the higher you you are up on that sensitivity scale, you do have to do a a different type of self-care. And it's important to be around other HSPs. That's why I love about my sensitive empowerment community, because we're like, we're validating and normalizing the experience to say, Mm. yeah, I too, if I'm going to go do something really busy, I need to save up energy to do that. And then I need to have, you know, downtime afterwards. And I'm really suggesting that HSPs have at least two hours a day of alone time. And I mean, quiet time where you you aren't like scrolling social media and taking in more input. You're really quiet. Maybe you're Mm -hmm. spending time daily in nature. That's a huge piece of, I consider that medicine for HSPs. And it's interesting, you talked about the delicate flower feeling. I love to equate this, especially those of us like you and I that are really high on that scale. If you think about an orchid flower, if it's given the right conditions, it blooms brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely the situation with HSPs. Mm-hmm. So true. You, you touched on getting sick a lot. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Because as a highly sensitive person, empathic, and, and very much so a physical empath, I, in my life, have tended to have various body stuff happen and also feel things very strongly in my body. And I can pretty much tie any physical issue (laughs) to to feeling something emotionally. And I don't think that's necessarily just for HSPs. I think there's this just part of being human. There's that mind-body connection. But I'm wondering if you can talk about the physicality of HSPs and how our body tends to take things on. Oh, definitely. I mean, if this is why it's so essential. We can't just, a lot of HSPs practice self-care after they fall apart, right? Right. right. <laughs> it's like, okay, now I fell apart. Now I'm in bed for three days, yeah. you know? It's like, and I used to do the same thing because our society teaches us, you know, you're supposed to push, 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 and everything has to be aggressive and, and intense and productive. And, you know, we have this, the whole society teaches us that. And yet, It is the very beautiful, sensitive gifts that are so needed in the world. Like we need more HSPs to be in places of leadership. We need Mm. more HSP voices where, you know, policymaking and lawmaking happen. And we, we need HSPs to step up. So I really have this passion about this grassroots movement that we support and honor and value sensitivity and all that it offers because there's so many gifts. I mean, HSPs can take in so much information. If you imagine the nervous system of being a container and somebody without the trait might put in like, you know, three cups of information per day into that container. An HSP can be putting hundreds of cups into that container. And that's information. We have more information. I did a podcast episode um, with this company that works with leaders and they were the, the, it was two people that were interviewing me. And one of the, the guy was like saying how much he valued, cause he was not an HSP, but he really valued his HSP teammate because he was aware that in every meeting she picked up stuff that he didn't pick up on. So he would have these meetings afterwards to be filled in <laughs> with mm-hmm. all the information she had that he missed. So there's so many, there's so much value with this trait. Uh, I mean, I really have a dream at one point that we put this on our resume. I mean, this mm. is a gift that the world needs. And that's why I want to create this paradigm shift that we change the way we see sensitivity. And, you know, it also depends on what culture you live in. Some cultures value sensitivity more. And in those cultures, they tend to have less self-esteem issues than the ones that don't value sensitivity. Mm, mm. And in, in terms of like the physical aspects, so really the, the, how we deal with that is we just are amazing at our self-care. 
so oh, that our yeah. body doesn't have to take it on. Because to me, has, the yes. body's been my alarm system of, um, yes. hello, you're not you're not <laughs> taking care of me in the way that I need. So here's a, yes. here's a backache. <laughs> yeah. And I always say, listen when your body is whispering, not when it's screaming. Mm-hmm. And this is a daily practice. The HSPs that I know that are thriving are the ones who practice a daily practice of self-care, not just when you think you're falling apart, but it is a, you know, it's a proactive approach to keeping that tank full to you've got to process that hundred cups of stuff that's going into that nervous system. And if you don't process it, you're going to wake up in the night. You're not going to be able to sleep. And HSPs do not do well without sleep. It is just the way it is. So like I have to prioritize sleep to such a high level that it has to be above everything else. And, and that means I can't take caffeine later in the day. I have to be really, I have to process what's in my container, my nervous system container before I'm even in my bed. I mean, I have to do meditation and a mindfulness practice and spend time in nature every day, spend time quiet. So I, I talk about like rest, restore. Uh, we need to process rest and restore every day. And it has to be intentional. It can't be something that we just do when we're falling apart. And this is, then you're going to be that orchid that blooms brilliantly. Mm. And, and that's what I see over and over again. And it is so exciting to me because I'm really into empowering HSPs. And when I watch them go bloom in the world, it's like, wow, that's just exactly what the world needs. I agree. Lots of orchids all around. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when you say processing everything that you've picked up, what exactly do you mean by that? How do we empty the container? Yes, we need to move it from our emotional brain to our cognitive brain. So that can be done through journaling, through talking with someone. I mean, I think it's great for HSPs to have a therapist in their life that they can talk to about anything, that process what they're feeling. You know, some of my processing happens in the bathtub. I'll take my daily bath and I just, that's my time to just separate myself from my work into my family life. So I'm processing the day. It's like, oh yeah, you know, somebody, something somebody said kind of bothered me. Okay, let me process that a little bit. Because if I don't, it's going to scream at me later. It's going to come out somehow. I, I talk about like imploding or exploding. And that's going to happen if we're not processing what we're feeling. And so I've gotten so good at it now because I do it every day that my level of awareness is very high. That as soon as I feel something, I'm aware of it. It's like, oh. Something just hit me. Yeah. I got to pause and process this, not ignore it, not stuff it. <laughs> and that is incredibly essential. You get, a, you get to learn a lot about yourself. And that's because if we're processing and we're bringing that awareness to it, we can also add tools to support ourselves. If we're ignoring it, it's just going to magnify until we listen to it. It's yeah. kind of like a child who is asking their parents for something and they're getting ignored. And then pretty soon that child is having a tantrum. That's yep. what we do too. <laughs> yep. Yep. A tool that's been really useful for me that I learned and teach, I call it release writing. And it's just writing, not necessarily in a journaling way, just writing stream of consciousness, writing so fast that you can't even read your own handwriting. And then I just rip it up and it's like my purge at the end of the day. And I find that very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. That's great. We mentioned energy before and I pick up a lot of energy as we talked about. I'm sure you did too. Do you have any tools for, for protecting and clearing our energy and our energetic field? Such a great thing to talk about. It's not talked about enough, you know, and I think that especially for HSP empaths where we're really high on that sensitivity scale, if we have not been taught about energy, we are merging and absorbing other people's energy. That's why sometimes you can be around people and they're toxic and you just feel like, oh my God, I feel so awful now. You can even get sick from that kind of energy. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really clear about grounding and like you were saying, protecting and separating energy. So that is a process that takes time to practice. And I usually tell people, practice it every day but in areas that maybe are not what, what would be your epicenter. So like not going to the thing that's the hardest for you first, you build up to that. So you want to do a lot of grounding techniques, you know, put your feet into the earth, spend time in nature, get into the water in some way, do meditation and grounding 
uh, practices so that you're getting, you're starting from a centered, grounded place. So like if I'm going to go do something that is going to be maybe busy or around a lot of people, I want to make sure that I start out grounded and that I'm constantly doing little check-ins with myself. Am I doing okay? I'm pulling away from other people's energy, checking on my energy, and giving myself permission. I don't have to stay next to somebody that feels toxic. Mm. I can create boundaries. And in fact, HSPs have to do that. You know, I have a, I have a member of my family who has a, a lot of suffering. And I used to, oh, I used to try so hard to, to help and put everything I could into helping this person, but they had a hole in their bucket and yeah. it didn't matter what I put into it. It wasn't going to be enough. And I was destroying my own life in the process. So I like to think of it a little bit like imagining life is like a river and you're in this raft. You cannot pull everybody into your raft or you're all going to sink. Mm. You have to take care of your own raft. And yes, I can point up ahead of time, you know, because my raft is strong. I can say, hey, there's a stick. You can pull yourself out. Here's some resources for you that you could contact a therapist, that you could get support in these ways. But I can't pull everybody into my raft or I'm going to drown. So true. So true. Or you're not going to get where you're meant to go because your yeah. raft's too heavy. Absolutely. Neither one of us would be doing what we're doing, right? Right. If we, if we hadn't have learned all of these right, things. Right, right. Exactly. I had, to let, I, had to let, I had to let it be okay that other people were upset with me when I set boundaries sometimes, which is hard for an HSP because it's like, oh, oh I feel you're upset at me. Yes. Uh, but and it, I always say the people that have the hardest time with us setting boundaries are the ones who need the boundaries the most. 100%. Going back to grounding, protecting our energy and clearing, do you have any quick tips for how you do that? Because I think people get it conceptually, but may not know how to do it on a daily basis. Yeah, there's this really beautiful technique that you can do where, so if you get yourself into a really quiet place where you cannot be disturbed, you may lock the door if you can, or be out in the middle of nature if you can. And just kind of imagine that you're, you're almost like cutting energy between you and other things. So you, you can do it with your hands, even about six inches from your face and your body. And you can imagine that you're just like, if you're closing your eyes and you're doing that, you can actually feel the sensation, especially for me, I feel it when I pass over my face. And I'm bringing my hands down across my body all the way down and I'm connecting and supporting my energy. So, so I want people to imagine that they maybe have, um, you know, six to 12 inches uh, surrounding their body that is their energy. And so if you're keeping that separated from other people's energy, you're protecting the energetic space inside of you. So when you're doing grounding techniques, you are really connecting to that internal world because we do tend to be really externally focused as HSPs by default because we're like, oh, is that person okay over there? And, you know, we're paying attention to the whole yeah, everything or, around Or us. the hypervigilance. Is that a threat? Yes. Is that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so a practice every day of keep pulling yourself into present moment, keep pulling yourself into this grounding where you're inside of yourself, not inside of other people and practicing that. So you get really clear about what it feels like to be inside of yourself. A lot of HSPs who start this have never done that. They don't even know what they feel like separated from somebody else. Mm, mm, that's so important. That's so important because that's where we find our own self-love and our own self-compassion too. And, yes. and we can tell better when we're off center. And one thing that's a, a question that I've asked myself continually when I feel something is, is this mine? Like, is this mine or I is this it. someone else's? And I can tell immediately in my body, I'm like, nope, this isn't mine. I give it back. I send it back with love and yeah. then clear my energy. I, I often imagine I have a grounding cord coming from the base of my spine into the center of the earth that really grounds me. And I imagine this, anything that doesn't serve me, just like going through that grounding cord, the earth can transmute it. And then I call in this beautiful golden bubble of light that just surrounds me and protects me and fills me. And, you know, it's like my screen door, the fresh air can come in, but the mosquitoes stay out. That's kind of how I see it. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love the grounding cord. I love that you can, you can even cut the cord. Yes. Like if you're connected to somebody, I had to do that with my family member. I had to cut the cord and I had to send them off with love and re-protect my own energy. And I love the idea of, um, you can do that. Like you said, the bubble of, of light, mm -hmm. um, you can 
if you imagine yourself inside of a bubble, you can imagine different colored lights surrounding you, depending on what feels really good to you. And that stuff is so powerful to, to really give practice to that so that you're really clear about that separation. And when you're protecting your own energy, I believe that like the inner child calms down for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, they start to trust you like, okay, they're paying attention to me. I don't have to scream at them now. I could just tell them what I need. Absolutely. You know? And mm-hmm. I forget to do this, Julie, all the time, like the airport example. Yeah. And when I finally went in the bathroom and it's like, how do I not remember that doing this just helps? Because I, I didn't protect my energy. I was in this really open, beautiful space in Mexico, just so connected and open. And then, you know, right back into customs. And I didn't do anything to, to my energetic field. I didn't take care of it. And it's like... I'm learning more and more that taking care of my energetic body is just as important as taking care of my physical body. And I think that's important for HSPs especially. Oh, I just got goosebumps when you said that 100%. And, you know, this is such a great example that there is no, there is no point that we're, that we reach where we're done growing and learning. Like there's, that's the, I really love to tell people that too, that none of us are walking around perfect and that we constantly learn from these things. It's like, oh, okay, when I go and do this for three days in a row, that's not going to work next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Next time I'm going to learn, I need to put like a nature day in between those busy days or, you know, it's like this constant practice of paying attention. But a lot of us end up being hard on ourselves about it. And then we don't, we don't learn anything when we're hard on ourselves, right? So true. It's so hard to shift when we're hard on ourselves. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about relationships and HSPs. Um, so for people that maybe have close friendships or especially romantic relationships, marriage partnerships, when there, there may be an HSP and the partner is not, you know, I know in relationships of mine, it's been frustrating for my partner sometimes because I don't have the same endurance that he does. I don't have, can't watch the same movies. I, I need maybe a little more self-care. How can we really make our partners, well, make probably isn't the right word, but how can we help our partners understand this um, and really be part of our self-care plan? Yeah, what a great question. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to how we share the message if we're sharing the message like, oh, you know, I kind of think that there's something wrong with this, but I got to tell you, this is what I need. And we're coming from that place. It's being received in that way. But if we come from a place where it's like, hey, you know, there's these things about me I'd love to share about you and it's it share with you so you understand me. And I might say, you know, these are some of the ways that I take care of myself so that I am balanced and strong. I might, I might validate the fact that, yeah, you know, I know that you would really love that I watched this scary movie with you and I totally get that. And that that could be fun, I would imagine. But the way that I take care of myself is that I can't do that, uh, but I want to spend time with you. So is there another kind of movie we could watch, Mm -hmm. you know? So you're, you're validating what their need is, but you're also coming from a really educational place, like, and strong and empowered. Like, this is how I take care of myself. You know, I have to be able to say no. If I, I want you to know that I really love spending time with you, but I just realized I used up my energy this week and I'm going to need to reschedule. So you're doing it in a really matter of fact, educational way. Yeah. And that my sensitivities aren't a liability. Like the reason I can love you like I can, and I'm in tune with your needs and I feel so deeply, um, is, is part of this. So yes, there are some things that come with it, but there's beautiful gifts that come with it as well. Yeah. What, what's a, a good response to you're too sensitive or you're being so sensitive? Oh my goodness. How many of us have heard that? (laughs) So many times I must've heard that millions of times growing up and every time it hurt me. And, you know, it wasn't until I, I, it really, this whole concept of when, when somebody's saying that, when they're putting us down in some way like that, it's coming from a, it's, that's their perception and their experience. And we really have nothing to do with their perception and their life experience. All we can do is um, is be okay with who we are. And what I had to learn, because I was somebody that had zero self-esteem, zero self-compassion. Um, if anybody said something to me that was any piece of criticism, I would completely fall apart. Mm. And it wasn't until I reached a point inside of myself that had complete security and acceptance of who I am 
for that not to hurt me anymore. So mm-hmm. that's the goal. It's not so much how to respond to that. It's about how do you feel about your sensitivity? Because when we get into a place that's like, hey, because uh, I definitely used to think like sensitivity, I would remove that in a heartbeat if I could. I used to think that it was a liability to me. And now I'm in exactly the complete opposite and in a really empowered place that believes my sensitivity is needed in the world and understands that it has all these gifts attached to it and that I can actually thrive when I'm taking care of myself. So I've shifted that message. And as soon as we do that for ourselves and we really value and honor who we are, it really doesn't matter what other people say. Yeah, agree. One thing that I love is you have a letter to practitioners and healthcare providers that highly sensitive people can use. And I think this is so important because I've definitely been injured, especially by body workers. When I say I'm really delicate, you need to go easy or chiropractors like, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. And they give me an adjustment and I'm like injured for six months Mm -hmm. because Uh like they didn't really hear. No, really like you need to go less with me. So can we talk a little bit about healthcare? And this isn't to throw healthcare providers under the bus at all. This is just understanding that different people have different needs and a one size fits all approach doesn't really work. So can you talk a little bit about how we can advocate for our own health needs with our providers? Yes. I'm so glad you're bringing that up. So incredibly important. There's so much misdiagnosis that happens. And I always want to tell HSPs, I mean, this letter is a great thing to give, um, to your practitioners to have them keep it in their file. And I also want to teach HSPs that if you get a practice, if you give that letter to a practitioner and they're just like, oh, you know, I don't care about that or that's not real or they're not really validating your experience, please pick a different practitioner. Mm-hmm. And you have that right. And that is an area you definitely need to advocate for. So if your practitioners do not know about this trait, they need to know about it. They have to know everything impacts you differently, even medication. And like you were saying, the gentle approach to what you might need. Um, So, so essential. I've heard from so many HSPs that that letter has really helped them and that they've had practitioners that have really seriously read the letter, put it in their file, thanked them for it. This is the type of practitioner you want to work with. Absolutely. um, So that they are, they want to, you want a practitioner that wants to understand you. And because we're only about 20% or less of the population, medications are created for those without the trait. So, you know, and approaches are often created, even office environments are often created for those without the trait. So all of these things are important and essential for us to advocate and definitely looking for practitioners who are gonna listen to that. What kind of jobs are HSPs really great at and what kind of jobs should we stay away from? It's really important that HSPs uh, are in a position where they are working with someone or their own business. If they're, they have to align with their values and it has to be meaningful. HSPs do not do well in positions that lack meaning to them, that don't feel fulfilling. That is, that's actually shows up in the research. It's part of who we are. We need to feel like we're making a difference. We need to feel like it's really aligning with our values. This is, and I want to just validate that for people that might be feeling that way and not getting that kind of support in their life or, or having people tell them there's something wrong with them for feeling that way, because this is how it is for us. So whatever that is, plus we have, we cannot be in situations where, where, you know, work, 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 and there's no off time. There's constant need for um, a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of HSPs can advocate what for what they need. And, and it's really neat because the research shows that HSPs actually score the highest, they're rated highest by supervisors, because we really try to do everything right. And we are mm-hmm. very ethical. And we're always trying to help people. Um, And so when you're advocating, remember that, that you're valuable and that you could advocate for your needs. You can, you know, I've had HSP say that, you know, a bright fluorescent light ahead of them above their desk was causing headaches and they advocated for that change or moving their desk or working from home or having, uh, you know, changing your work schedule so you're not in commute traffic, um, Things that are going to really support your needs, that you have very clear boundaries about times that you're not working, you're not working into the night, um, you're, you have to have off time. Yep. Yep. You have to. So... <laughs> 
I, I can hear some of the people, especially the moms or people that are oh, yeah. really, really busy going, oh my gosh, I know I have this, but like, I just have to push through because I'm too busy. Two hours a day to myself, a walk in nature, a ba- like, when am I going to fit all that in? Uh-huh. So for the very, very busy one, and, and listen, I was super busy for many, many years. I was flying on planes at least, gosh, six times a month running businesses, doing a million things. And then like my health crashed (laughs) and I was like, Oh, well that's, that doesn't, even though I could do it, like I was capable of doing it, the level of, um, intensity and adrenaline and cortisol I had to run eventually caught up with me. So for the people that are very, very busy that are resonant, they're resonating with this, like they're picking up what you're putting down, but they, just don't have a lot of time. What's the bare minimum that they can start with? <laughs> Such a great question. Moms have the hardest time. I have to mm-hmm. say in all my research, this is the hardest part, but I've also dealt with, you know, thousands of HSP moms who finally tried it. So I want to say some examples. So for example, you know, you're, maybe you have a partner at home I would suggest like, for example, my niece had a baby recently and her and her husband were like on, you know, on call 24 hours a day together and they were both exhausted. And I suggested, why don't each one of you take an hour or two to yourself while the other one is, you know, tending to the baby, but the other one gets to turn off. And and that doesn't mean you're listening from the other room. That means you're really turned off, whether you have earplugs or you've taken a walk in nature. And I want you to practice it for one week. And I want you to see how different you feel, because a lot of people tell me I don't have time to do that. But when you actually do it, you're going to be so surprised that you're more efficient, more productive, more balanced, because if we're falling apart, then we have a lot of work to clean up that falling apart. Yeah. Like if we've argued with our partner and caused a fight because we're so depleted, we can't stand it. And now we've started fighting with our partner. That takes a lot more energy than it does to just take that hour or two to yourself. And what happens is the, and I've had thousands of HSPs tell me this, that when they finally did it, what happened was their partner realized like, wow, They came out of that hour or two, they came back with energy and vitality and they were smiling and they felt present and connected with the family. And we want more of that. Mm, I love that. Let's talk about HSP kids as we start to wrap up here. First, how can you, because this is where, you know, I think I got really impacted at home. I felt supported in a lot of ways, but I think where it really impacted me was at school with friends and teachers and peers and feeling like I didn't fit in. Um, and I know that it's, it's important for us to recognize HSP kids. So what are those, what are some traits that the, that the kids have? So parents can start to recognize that. And then how do we really nurture our children that, that are sensitive so that really can, they really can step into their gifts. No, oh, wonderful that you're talking about this. I raised two highly sensitive children. Mm-hmm. So this is near and dear to my heart um, and worked with a lot of parents. And one of the things that you, that one of the most powerful things you can do is educate yourself about the trait, first of all. So you understand, you know, I've heard stories of kids like their parents forcing them to wear a wool sweater and the texture is just driving mm-hmm. them crazy and, and, you know, it's causing problems for them. They can't even concentrate at school. So I just want everybody to realize that this is a, this is real stuff. So we need to support our sensitive children. And like my two sensitive children had different way, different needs. Um, so you know, uh, learning how, like for one of my youngest, for example, I was just thinking about this the other day. Cause he's like, he, when he was young, he was so, um, he would like get angry about stuff really fast. Mm. I mean, his brother had done or something. And I taught him about emotional regulation. We, we, we would watch, I would watch him as he would start to elevate and I would teach him about like, okay, this would be a great moment. Now he would do really good having quiet time in his room. My other son would do really good taking a little walk. Um, so getting to know what your kids need and then helping to advocate for that with your, with the teachers too. I know some sensitive kids, for example, 
did really poorly in certain environments, maybe being asked to go out to recess. And then like all of the kids are, you know, running all over the place. And maybe that felt really stressful for their child. So they found other ways to support their child. Maybe their child would help in the library or they would introduce them to another friend that was at a similar um, energy level, at like a calmer child. And then they would start to, you know, have them develop a relationship and spend time together. So you really do want to advocate. So what I would suggest, another thing that really helps sensitive kids too is um, like if you're going to be bringing them into a new classroom with a new teacher, see if you can go in before class starts, like, you know, the, a week before or something, meet with the teacher Bring your child there to meet the teacher, to see the classroom, give them a chance to get warmed up to the new experience that they're about to have, have meetings with your teacher. Are they, how are they supporting your sensitive child and ask that they do, you know, we have to advocate sometimes with certain teachers and, and sensitivity shows up differently. A lot of people, a lot of parents talk about, you know, my, my child has a meltdown, meltdown every time we go to a birthday party or something like that. Well, these are real experiences for your child. So you want you don't want to overbook them. They can't be in constant activities. Like if you're seeing your child have a lot of meltdowns, these are most likely, you know, sensitivity meltdowns, like sensitive nervous system meltdowns. It's not that your child is trying to, mm -hmm. you know, get your attention or do some do something in, in a negative way. They're they're suffering and they need some support. So um, making sure that they have breaks during the party, making sure that they've had a quiet day before the party and a quiet day after the party. And we're setting up situations to help them thrive because we have to teach our children that before they know how to take care of themselves. And, and now I see my kids and I'm just like all the things I used to worry about, their picky eating when they were little or something like that, all of that is gone. And they're mm. just so confident and and emotionally healthy and they have tools that they need and they can go and do anything they want in their life now. So I just love to tell parents that a lot of the things we worry about with our sensitive kids actually improve if we're giving them the right kinds of support. Mm. One thing that would happen for me a lot as a little girl is I would feel other people's feelings, even strangers. Yeah. Um, how can you explain and help kids understand at a young age, like their feelings versus someone else's and the difference between sympathy and empathy and just how not to, because little kids are such sp sponges, you know, we just feel so much. Yeah. I think it's great to start teaching kids meditation and mindfulness really early in life mm -hmm. and grounding techniques so that they're getting the practice of being able to separate and pull into themselves like that and giving them a chance to talk to you about their day and their experiences. Like every night when my boys were little, I'd lay in the bed with them. We'd read stories, but we'd also have time just to talk. Mm -hmm. And that's when they would tell me about their day or something the teacher said or, you know, and we would be able to process that together. And and, and in a loving way, like being able to support your kids in these ways are so powerful. So you're teaching them about journaling early on and taking them out in nature and showing them the things that really help sensitive systems. Mm, I love that. It's so important. And, and we can reparent ourselves in that process too, because yes. if we have a highly sensitive child, there's a big chance <laughs> that we are a highly sensitive parent. And so we can, we can learn together. Not always, I'm sure, but I'm sure there's, there's a bit of a correlation there. Yeah. So great to learn together. Absolutely. To, to do quiet time together. If you're a parent of a little one, you know, set up little quiet activities, maybe you color together, you know, you can do things um, that are supportive to both of you. Mm. Well, this has been so helpful, Julie, and especially in this, this year and this time when there's so much uncertainty and so much fear, I think that HSPs have been even more activated. So these tips that you've given us to not pull everybody in our life raft, to protect our energy, to ground ourselves are important, you know, anytime, but especially during times of uncertainty and intensity that we're all facing now. Yes. 100%. Yeah. So everybody, I know you have a zillion more questions for Julie. <laughs> the good <laughs> news is that she has so many resources. She has a really beautiful website where you can go and take a quiz, um, to, to find out where you are in the scale. Lots of courses. You can get the letter. I'll link all that up in the show notes, but Julie, just why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you as well? 
Sure. They can go to my website, juliebielen.com. Or if you don't know how to spell that, <laughs> you can go to sensitiveconnection.com. And I have some free master classes. I really recommend the the one about high sensitivity and anxiety. That's going to be, that is very um, helpful for a lot of HSPs to understand the trait and some tools and tips that can help. And yeah, there is, uh, my entire website is dedicated to this trait. And I've been working for years with this trait. So there's a lot of stuff to explore. Definitely just explore everything that's there. And thank you for being such a beautiful example of how an HSP can be incredibly impactful, incredibly high functioning, incredibly energetic, all of these things with the right understanding, compassion, and self-care. Thank you. That's such a mission of mine to help other HSPs know that that can be their experience too with the right kinds of tools and support. Well, that's a beautiful HSP trait, wanting to help others, wanting to serve, wanting to help people feel less alone. And you're doing it beautifully. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 